big risks can work out. Um, and also if they don't work out, it's not the worst thing in the world either. You can pick yourself up, dust yourself off and try again. So yeah, getting to that kind of entrepreneurial mindset that failures are just learning opportunities has been really helpful and it's been something that's kind of been instilled in me for a young, from a young age. So wasn't particularly afraid. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Hello and welcome to The Finterview, a show about the stories of innovators, entrepreneurs and builders shaping the future of our financial world through technology. Why not share the show with someone who would love these stories? It will make us very happy and your friend would also love it. Hi everyone, this is your host for the Finterview podcast, uh, Amar Kotak, sponsored by Integrated Finance and the Fintech Foundation. I'm joined today by a up-and-coming entrepreneur, uh, Fiona Jelly, who having worked at heavyweights such as Goldman Sachs and Citibank, now has her own automated regulatory reporting startup called Comply First. Hey Fiona, how's it going? Hi, Amar. Very well. Nice to be here. Great to have you. Great to have you. Um, so we'll jump straight in. Um, I see from my research that you've read law at uni and then worked in client onboarding at Goldman Sachs. Talk me through that and why you decided not to kind of go into law straight after uni. Yes, sure. Um, so yeah, I guess that was one of my first big jumps was having studied law for five years, I decided not to go into law. <laughs> um, my first job was at Goldman Sachs in the compliance department, onboarding institutional clients, mostly in the FX space. And I had jumped into that job with the plan of getting some exposure to financial services, because that was an area that I was really enjoying at university. I had studied banking law. I had wrote my dissertation on the 2008 financial crisis and I was really starting to get my teeth into finance and I thought what better way to really get into that than to get some real life exposure. I thought Goldman was the place to go and, and to do that and then hopefully jump back into law um, and go, go into chambers and to practice as a barrister but um, as you know I never really got back. I ended up enjoying the culture too much, uh, I had a lot of friends and Ultimately, I think law was a bit more of a lonely practice. So yeah, never really ended up going back and have been in financial services for the last 10 years now. Amazing. And so is that where, I guess, you, you studied law, so you have that kind of law background. You then do onboarding, which is kind of compliance related. Yes. I mean, they're, they're separate fields, but not too far away from each other to see the connection because it's regulation it's compliance with laws and stuff so i guess is that that's what you enjoy right that that element of the work yes yeah, so i think it was a really nice fit and at the time goldman were specifically going after lawyers for those compliance and onboarding functions because they have naturally such a good grasp of the regs and are very control minded in the first place so it was a really nice fit and actually the whole, t the whole onboarding team that I was on at Goldman at that time was all comprised of junior lawyers and, and graduates fresh out of, out of law school. So it was a really kind of nice place to get my grounding and to go through GS University, which was kind of second to none in terms of training. 
Um, and I guess also working at Goldman is, especially as your first job, is a real baptism of fire, right? Because you learn how to, work, how to work really intense hours and work really hard. So I think all of that served me really well. Well, I mean, you, you're clearly not put off by hard work and intense hours because not only then did you move to Goldman to City, but you're also a founder in your own right, which we'll, um, which we'll come back to. But I guess from moving from Goldman to City at that point in your career, did you ever think that you wanted to be a founder? Did you ever think you would build your own thing? Is it something that's in your blood, for example, to run your own company? Um, so entrepreneurship is in my family. Um, my parents are entrepreneurs. They're also in the, the foreign exchange and payment space themselves. But honestly, it wasn't something in my 20s that I had considered doing. Uh, I thought I would very much trod the traditional corporate path. And that's what I did for a long time at Goldman and Citibank, kind of climbed the corporate ladder. But as I got towards my late 20s, I would say, I looked, I was looking for something more purpose-driven. I was looking for something more flexible. And I don't think I was going to find that at the big, Ameri you know, the big American investment banks. So that's what pushed me on to kind of take a change. I moved back to Northern Ireland and I started working in a fintech. And can you tell us a little bit about that fintech, what they did? Yes. So that fintech is called Transfer Lab. Um, I was the compliance director there. So they were mainly focused on FX and payments uh, for small and medium-sized businesses uh, north and south of the Irish border. That was very much their remit. And I had a whole kind of, although I was compliance director, I had a whole host of other roles outside of compliance director, because naturally at a fintech, you're a small business. And so you end up wearing a lot of different hats. But that was really great for me because I touched on everything from compliance to HR, to operations, to payment infrastructure you know, hiring people as well. So I, I learned a lot. And I think that really stood me in good stead for starting my own business. And I guess, were you ever not put up by the scope of work that being a founder entails having kind of exposed yourself to that? Or did you just find that all like a super exciting part of the job? I find it super exciting. Um, being exposed to it, I really enjoyed the different aspects of of the role. And I guess in my previous role at Citibank as well, I was in a business management role and sort of being trained or groomed almost to go on to, to a COO type role there. So I really enjoyed kind of working on varied elements of the business right across the business and understanding it from that 10,000 foot perspective as well. So I think those those elements just, just left me excited to start my own, own business. And it felt like a natural fit then. I mean, every founder kind of gets lured in by the glamour of running your own company. But, I mean, it's not all roses. Do you want to talk about what were some of the things when you were a director kind of getting involved in all those areas which could have put you off starting your own company, but which you kind of ignored and decided to do anyway? Yeah, I think um, some of the challenges, particularly in my previous role at the fintech, are a little bit different than in my current business because the fintech was a regulated business, whereas Comply First isn't. So it has its own host of challenges being a regulated business. And I think that could put a lot of founders off. You know, getting inside the regulatory perimeter is very complicated for a lot of founders, especially if you're a first-time founder and you've no experience 
and financial services that could easily put you off. That's not something that I had to contend with in Comply First, although, you know, there were my there were other kind of challenges with uh, finding and, and running Comply First. And I guess the big thing and the big challenge for me at the moment is attracting and recruiting technical talent. So really amazing engineers and developers that get the mission, get what we want to do and come on board and we can, and we can attract and retain them. Um, it's a very hot and competitive market out there for engineering talent. So that that's something that is kind of top of mind at the moment. But uh, I think that that's also that trend is actually going to cool as well, because uh, in recent days, we've seen Twitter kind of lay off lots of engineers, Stripe as well, and Stripe have a big office here in Dublin. So I think with the tech sector cooling, and some of those tech layoffs, we will actually see more technical talent come into the market and more of that be freed up for young startups uh, like Comply First. Yeah, I mean, hiring for tech positions is a, a challenge I think every tech company has an issue with. But, but like you said, with the recent news on Twitter and Stripe, maybe there's some good talent out there. And if anyone's listening that is an engineer... I know Comply First and Integrated Finance are, are always hiring, so, so do reach out if you're looking for a new role. Um, going going back to some of the challenges um, of being an entrepreneur, you said your parents are entrepreneurs. Um, how valuable was that for you to have that sounding board of people you could talk to and bounce ideas off that have been through the process of starting and running their own company? Yeah, really valuable because... You have a role model then, you have someone to look up to and know that big risks can work out. Um, and also, if they don't work out, it's not the worst thing in the world either. You can pick yourself up, dust yourself off and try again. So yeah, getting to that kind of entrepreneurial mindset that failures are just learning opportunities has been really helpful. And it's been something that's kind of been instilled in me from a young age. So wasn't particularly afraid. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. All, all founders, I guess, have an element of, I don't want to say, I'm not sure if it's naivety or, or ignorance in the fact that there's never, a, when you start it, there's very little doubt you have that what you're going to do is going to become a success, right? Because if you doubt yourself and your idea, how can you make it a success if you're not fully bought into it? How are the people you're trying to hire in, in your team or the people you're trying to sell to, how will they think it's the right idea if you don't intrinsically as well? That's it. I think you have to be totally sold on your own vision. And if you're not, don't start. <laughs> <laughs> Simple advice, but actually effective, right? Because, I mean, I remember when I first started my company, I think at that time, you know, I, I was at PwC, a, a big corporate like you were at, and I think there was a bit of me that was just looking for a way out and any idea would have been a good idea at that point because I just wanted to, I wanted to do something that was my own or my own idea, and I wanted to see like I feel like I'm a smart person. I've went to a good uni. I've had a good grounding in this job, but what else can I do apart from just the the grind at, at a big corporate? Can I broaden my skills and knowledge base and try something else? So, I mean, I think at that point I started an idea which. Looking back was good, could have been better, it wasn't very refined, but it, it taught me a lot. Like you said, in failures, they teach you a lot that can help you on the next venture that could make you successful. Yeah, definitely opportunities for learning. And I think 
to your point there, I think some first time founders, they find they often find a solution and then they go in search of a problem for that solution. So I think if you can really find a problem, a really nagging, annoying problem, preferably one that you've had yourself and you understand really well and you have that customer empathy, if you find the problem first, it's so much easier to build the solution than to reverse engineer it. So, um, yeah, I, that's that's where I'm kind of coming from with, uh, with Comply First. I really felt that problem and pain of regulatory reporting quite acutely. So that's why I've gone off and, and started Comply First. Yeah, well, I mean, so tell us a little bit more about Comply First. So you, you talked about you experienced the pain. Where did you experience the pain? And then you then started, I guess, what? Talk us through, you experienced the pain to then launching the product. Like, what was that journey for you? Yes. So I've experienced the pain for really five years consistently prior to the last year. And that was at the FinTech Transfer Lab where I worked as compliance director. And the pain was that regulatory reports, they're mandatory. So you have to do them for the FCI. You have to report on a certain frequency to the regulator to let them know key bits of data so they can stay apprised on the kind of overall health of the firm and the overall health of the market. So that all started out with, with good intentions from the, from the regulators kind of post 2008 financial crisis, but the complexity and the quantity of these reports has kind of grown exponentially since the 2008 financial crisis. So roughly I was doing one report a month at Transfer Lab, and I could spend 10, 15 hours per report gathering all the data, collaborating with um, various team members, you know, whether it be C-suite, whether it be operations, whether it be finance, or in, in the case of a small fintech, your external accountant. And all of that takes time. That collaboration across teams and using different, gathering data from different data silos, that takes lots of time. It's time consuming. It's very resource intensive. And I just thought the whole process was broken. And I was feeling this pain every month for five years. And I knew it could be done better. So that was my hypothesis. I thought, this sucks. This can definitely be done better. <laughs> And very naively, then I, I went off and um, started my own business. That's amazing. And it's so interesting that you say this. I mean, you know, I speak to founders or prospective founders on a daily, weekly basis. And a lot of their journey, they're looking to be fintech founders, is I want to launch a product. I'll take agency, probably, off the partner I'm going to work with, and I'm going to go get my own license. And the point in the horizon, ends at when they get their own license, they think that's when it'll be easier. I can do what I want. There's no rules on me for my banking partner. I'm licensing my own right, and so it's it's going to be easier. Like, life will be so much easier. And mm -hmm. I don't think any founder necessarily thinks about, oh, no, when I have my own license, actually, there's all these reports I have to do. There's all this extra scrutiny and requirements, especially when you're taking, like, the e-money license, when you're not taking the banking license. Everyone knows... When you become a bank, like that's a lot of work. But like even the e-money side, I think it's underestimated how much reporting you have to do on a on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Absolutely. Getting authorized, just the start of your regulatory obligations, you have a whole set of post-authorization obligations, whether that's regulatory reporting, 
whether that's uh, audits, so AML audits or safeguarding audits. Uh, your bank might ask you for an audit in, all t- in order to keep your, your bank accounts open. So you have this whole range of ongoing regulatory and compliance obligations that you need to keep on top of. And I think as founders, you don't necessarily consider that at the, at the outset of your journey or particularly when you lodge your application for authorization. And I think we need, really need to wait, raise awareness with founders on those points is to consider the outcome before you start. So then you can build the technology, the processes and the people around you um, so that everything can be automated, it can be efficient, and you don't end up with these legacy systems and processes because you put them in after the fact. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, you used your family as a sounding board. We're talking about kind of getting, giving founders that information up front for them to make the right decisions early on. And I think that leads quite nicely into the FinTech Foundation and what we're looking to do with that project, right? And for the listeners that don't know, the FinTech Foundation is a new incubator program run by a fantastic collaboration of partners from Integrated Finance and MasterCard, Currency Cloud, Infuse, and also Fiona and the team at Comply First. And I guess, Fiona, from your point of view, it'd be amazing to talk about why you decided to join as founding partners of the program and what you see the benefit being for young founders um, and as to why they should apply to join the foundation. Yeah, so I guess my reasons uh, for joining the foundation are twofold, really. And the first reason being I want to help young founders um, or early stage founders overcome those regulatory barriers to entry because those barriers to entry can be extremely high. And especially if you don't come from a financial services background, it can be kind of overwhelming. So it's to, I, I'm really coming at it from a perspective of helping founders with any questions they have on getting authorized, that process itself, or discussing post-authorization obligations, like we mentioned, regulatory reporting, and the types of processes and technology that they should in, they should put in place around that to stay compliant once they're authorized. And secondly, as a founder myself, you know, having recently gone through the MVP build process, the fundraising process, the dating investors, in inverted commas, you know, I'm happy to discuss all those various elements of startup life with other founders. And if I can help another founder in any way with some of that information, I'm more than happy to do so. And I also know that this particular cohort will have tons to teach me. And I'm really looking forward to working with a really talented and smart bunch of people yeah it's amazing that you know all the partners in the program i mentioned that element of you know giving back to the next wave of founders coming to to the industry it's something that really surprised me i think i've mentioned this on a a few podcasts that when i first joined the industry the, the amount of people that were just willing to share knowledge and learnings and help me build a product was so amazing and i feel like it's just the, our duty to continue giving back to that next wave of founders. And I think the founders as part of the cohort are really going to benefit from a really fantastic suite of mentors and some fantastic technology that's on offer. Um, and it's really going to potentially give them the tools to build fantastic products, but it's obviously going to be up to them to whether they grasp the opportunity. But I think it's definitely going to be an exciting process for everyone to go through. No, I totally agree. And I agree that a lot of the the founders that I have met 
so far in my journey have had this pay it forward attitude. They know exactly what it's like to be in a in an early stage founder's shoes. And so they're so happy to collaborate, cooperate, introduce others, the founders to others in their network where it's helpful. So yeah, I think that it, this foundation is rooted in that mentality. Absolutely. Okay, so if we if we kind of circle back to a little bit about you and your experience, one, one question I wanted to ask is, um, you've decided to start a company where your main partner, I would say, is the regulator. Now, I find that funny because they're so hard to work with, generally. And so you kind of opened yourself up to years and years of pain. Talk us through why you decided that was the right way to go. I think that is part of our USP is that, unfortunately, the FCA and in particular, the reporting platform is quite hard to work with. And that's a common complaint that our users have made is that the UI is very tricky. It's overly clunky. The questions that are asked in these reports themselves are very legal, jargon heavy. They're very technical. It's not user friendly at all. So uh, one customer of ours has likened our platform as likened our platform to a sleeve that sits on top of the FCA. Um, but we make everything digestible, easy to understand, and we give we give users an easy um, and affordable way to do their their regulatory reporting. So I, I definitely think that pain of of working with the regulator is is why we're placed to succeed. It's so funny as well, though, like you talk about the UI is not very friendly and the questions are complicated to understand. And even when you ask for like clarification, the response is normally, well, this is for you to interpret. And if you get it right, great. If you get it wrong, well, we're going to come after you for getting it wrong. Correct. And so that that makes founders particularly reliant on external compliance consultants, you know, which it just kicks a very expensive can down the road. So it's something that we have looked to solve ourselves. And with my legal background, I've gone through all the FCA, the relevant FCA rule books, the source materials, the guidance, and broken down all of that legal jargon into plain language. And we've, we've codified that and we've built that into our platform. Um, so yeah, un- unfortunately, working with the regulators tough, but that is, that's where we sit. We, we sit in the sweet spot. We make things easier. That must have been some fun bedtime reading going through the handbooks. It definitely was. But unfortunately, I'm, unfortunately, I'm a bit of a, you know, FinReg nerd. So I enjoy it. That's my bedtime reading. And that's why you're also the right person to solve this problem if you enjoy it. Yes, no, definitely. I do. I do. I also wonder if you've had any interaction with the FCA? Do they know about Comply First? Are they supportive of what you're trying to do? Are they open to change and innovation? So they are particularly open to change and innovation. They do have a reputation as probably one of the most innovative regulators in the world, particularly with their regulatory sandbox, which a lot of other jurisdictions have replicated in recent years. So they are known as an innovative regulator. But that doesn't mean that they are fast or innovative by private private sector standards. They are still a government-funded body, and they move a bit slower than us, uh, especially our startups. 
But yes, they are aware of Comply First. Um, we've gone down the FCA innovation pathways. So we've had some discussions with them already. Uh, we've actually discussed whether their regulatory sandbox would be a good place for Comply First um, to join as well. So that's something we're discussing with them at the moment. Um, but yes, well aware of us and welcoming of us, I would say. They they issued a call actually to industry a couple of years ago saying that they would like to see, and I'm paraphrasing here, but more technological solutions to help small and medium-sized businesses with their regulatory reporting. So it's something um, that they're open to, for sure. Yeah, that's interesting because I also know there was a call a couple of years ago where, well, not a call, but they sent out warning letters to CEOs of all e-money institutions about concerns about how they were safeguarding um, customer funds. And there are a few solutions being built to help with that. I mean, we, we have a safeguarding uh, decisioning tool here at uh, Integrated Finance. But I guess considering there's such fear or uncertainty whether e-money institutions are abiding by the regulation, is that where you can add additional value, not only to um, the licensed institutions, but also to the FCA to give them exposure or visibility on what people are doing and to make sure they're following regulation. Yeah, so it's an interesting point around developing a, a subtech solution, um, and it's something that we're considering. But for the moment, we're really trying to nail our core product for our core users who are those uh, fintech payment and e-money institutions and once we've kind of built up the scale, then we think we may have we may have the opportunity to develop a subtech dashboard or some subtech interface, be that for the FCA or be that for a bank, because a lot of banks have smaller financial institutions that sit beneath them, and they they classify these institutions rightly or wrongly as high risk, and they charge them an awful lot of money for the privilege of, of banking those institutions. So. One of the theories that we're considering at the moment is, can we reduce the risk profile of fintechs um, by giving their bank a subtech dashboard so that they can see exactly what the regulator sees. They see the same regulatory data and they can take action on it. That could be incredibly powerful, right? I mean, it kind of solves that end-to-end -end issue for regulator and fintech or bank. Yes, I think it would go some way to supplementing banks know their customer information on their fintech and give them additional comfort around that, for sure. Wow, excellent. Looks, sounds exciting. Can't wait for that to be released at some point. Yes, definitely going to be working on that soon. <laughs> I actually wanted to touch on another point you mentioned um, a few minutes ago about the FCA sandbox. Now, um, by no means do I want people to think this is an FCA bashing podcast, but I've heard mixed reviews about the Sandbox and some founders will be listening and determining probably whether they want to apply to be a Sandbox cohort at the FCA. From your knowledge and experience, what do you see as kind of the potential value or benefit that founders can get from the FCA Sandbox? I think obviously it's the opportunity to test their product or service in a safe environment. And, you know, the FCA, they can give informal steers, they can give signposting, or they can give you no letters of action if you request that. So that is to say, you know, potentially if something 
goes wrong in the test or that something doesn't go as planned in the test, that there won't be any kind of regulatory action from the FCA as a result of that. But I mean, the, the, the whole point of the sandbox is that it's test data, it's in a test environment, there shouldn't be any live consequences from that. So I guess there is that whole thought of it's a secure and safe environment in which to fail safely. So I think that's a good thing. But I think the bureaucracy actually around the application process, it's quite, it's quite a lengthy application. And I know some fintechs who want to go through the sandbox, they actually outsource that application to consultants because, again, it's a bit unwieldy for them to do it themselves. So I think the FCA would do well to actually simplify those applications and also make the lead times um, to turning those applications around shorter because I think it's something something like 12 weeks. So yeah, I think just in terms of making the UK more competitive, it's shortening applications, making them simpler, make, making the turnaround time shorter. I think that would really go a long way to increasing in, innovation and competition. And is, is that kind of thought process purely linked to the FCA sandbox? Or do you think those are more widespread initiatives the FCA should take to continue innovation? Or continue fostering innovation? Yes, it's a good question. I think those principles generally are needed a bit more, but actually what we're seeing is is possibly the opposite. So I think in 2021, the FCA authorized, I think it was 31 payment institutions and 32 e-money institutions, whereas so far in 2022, I think it's eight and nine respectively. So there's a big drop in the number of payment and e-money authorizations from, from this year compared to last year. And we've heard that the FCA are taking on a stronger gatekeeping gatekeeper role. So I don't necessarily think that is going to translate well for some fintechs who may forum shop and fintechs could ultimately end up pushed into other jurisdictions. I've heard of a lot of uh, fintechs getting authorized in Lithuania, for example, where maybe the regulatory environment is is more pro-commerce. So I think the, the FCA maybe just needs to think and be aware of unintended consequences of these really robust um, or challenging gatekeeper roles that they're taking on. I think maybe the other problem that's feeding into a low number of authorizations is their challenge around recruiting and retaining staff. So that's one thing that's kind of been well publicized in the media is um, staff turnover there. So hopefully, you know, they get a handle on their staffing issues and they eventually meet their own service level requirements that they've set out because I know that they haven't met them this year, which isn't good news for fintechs. Absolutely. And do you think that puts the wider UK fintech market and innovation at risk? If Because I was talk about so much potential opportunity post-Brexit with the FCA kind of being more independent to European regulators. Do you think they're missing a trick here? Do you think they're actually discouraging innovation in the UK fintech market? I wouldn't say they're just discouraging it, or I wouldn't say that's the intention, but I think the level of bureaucracy and the delays, I think those have the unintended kind of effect of discouraging innovation. So I think they need to be particularly careful around engaging with fintechs in a timely manner. I think there's talk of them introducing a new platform in 2023 for fintechs to submit applications. 
So hopefully that makes things easier. Um, there's, they've also written about potentially um, using automation to triage some of those applications to, to be able to make some decisions quicker and to get to a point of engagement with fintechs quicker. I think using technology like that has to be welcomed and generally better staffing, kind of more staffing in the FCA I think is needed and probably higher quality staffing combined with technology. It could really open up the fintech ecosystem here and, and create a lot more opportunity for innovation. So I think the regulator should look to be innovative as well, as well as trying to foster innovation amongst fintechs. Do you think there's um, a concern, though, from the SCA? Because we've seen in the last few months a lot of small to mid-sized B2C neobanks, for example, kind of fall into administration or close, and there's an element of, you know, there's the reimbursement or redemption of client money um, that was issued. And do you think because of the macroeconomic challenges, they're delaying applications and license approvals just to validate who's going to survive the market who's going to be here for the long term and provide the most security for customers yeah i don't think the what's happening in in the the economy is is necessarily helping things i think rightly kind of post pandemic and with the re- the recent cost of living crisis that the FCA are keeping an eye on things like operational resilience, wind down plans, and consumer duty. And those are becoming real focal points for the FCA because they want to ensure market uh, stability and integrity, and they want to avoid avoid consumer harm, all of which are to be applauded and and they should be front and center for any regulator. But I think we need to be careful that we're not stifling fintechs and creating unnecessary barriers to entry for them as well. So anecdotally, there's some some talk from fintechs who've gone through the authorization process recently that the FCA are asking for a lot of resources to be in place before their authorizations are even approved. So whether that be compliance or finance, um, finance officers on the ground, that fintech could be incurring hundreds of thousands in salaries before the FCA has even had the time to look at or approve their their application. So I think we need to be, the FCA needs to be a little more commercially sensitive to the barriers to entry that they're creating, particularly for fintechs. And whether that be fintechs with with funding, VC funding or without, we just need to be really, they need to be really careful around that because they could have the unintended unintended consequence of stifling innovation. Yeah, and I guess if, it's hard to become licensed in your own right. I guess that explains why most fintechs are going down the agency or distributor route with their, say, underlying banking partner or, or licensed sponsor. Do you see any or foresee any challenges with that model in the next 12 to 18 months? Do you think there's going to become a cliff point where the FCA clamps down on that model? And then if so, like, What's the route to market for fintechs if that happens? Um, I don't see. I see maybe that 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 the agency model could become more heavily regulated. So we could see more reporting from agents to their principals, or perhaps even to the FCA directly. I know that principals themselves, you know, regularly meet with and audit their agents. So. Th- 
there, there are definitely strong controls around that and controls that are proportionate to an early stage fintech. Um, so I would hope that that doesn't get ratcheted up too much further. I think it's probably proportionate as it is. Yeah, I, I would hope that that would stay stay relatively relatively similar to, to how it is now. We can only hope, I guess, right? Yes, fingers crossed. It just seems like uh, regulations are increasing at such a pace and the pace of regulatory change is really challenging even for big businesses with a global footprint, never mind smaller fintechs. What's one piece of regulation in the market that you're like, this is just too burdensome, it's not adding enough value and just creating more pain in the market? Is there one of those? Yeah, I guess there are many of those. I think some of the detail, and particularly the technical detail that has to go into wind-down planning, I think may be overcooked because a business owner should be able to prepare a wind-down plan. But I have heard from some consultants in the space that they're employing, employing um, specialist accountants to kind of produce these wind-down plans. And I think that when plans like wind-down plans get out of the reach or the hands or the capability of the business owners who would have to implement them, I think we've gone a step too far. I think we need to make um, planning or applications, whether that whether that be applications to the FCA to get authorized or whether that be your policies and procedures, I think we need to make it more accessible to the business owners and people running these businesses so that they know what their thresholds are for the boards to sit down and consider winding down or liquidating their business or trying to trying to get their business sold. I think we need to make it to make it simpler and more accessible. Wow, very good answer. Um, wasn't aware of the requirements of developing such uh, intensive wind down policies and procedures so if you're a founder out there i think that's a great piece of advice uh, to take on board that that's something you'll need to look at and so we're kind of coming to the close of the podcast and one question that i um, ask all my guests which may not be as relevant for you um, seeing as you're a, a new up and coming or your, your company's kind of relatively newly set up but if you were to be a founder again and you were to do have another business idea that you launched do you know what it would be wow um so a long time ago i toyed with the idea of subscription subscription meal boxes kind of like hello fresh i guess but with all kind of local Irish ingredients. And that kind of came about as a result of Brexit because it was very difficult in Northern Ireland where I'm based to, to get meat in from England. So there was a lot more cross-border trade with the Republic of Ireland for your beef, your lamb, your pork. We couldn't get it from England anymore. Um, so that idea popped into my head as something that could be, that could be local it could be TSD and yeah, it could be all Ireland based. So that is something I was toying with, but um, packing boxes seemed like quite a lot of hard work. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, we went with Comply First instead and I'm so glad we did. But I still think that's a really good opportunity for anyone out there. And, and no one solved that yet? Not that I'm aware, although I, unrelated, um, some dog food, kind of fresh dog food, Butternut. So my, I buy my dog Butternut Box. It's it's an English brand, and they would ship this kind of um, slow cooked meat here. Anyway, she's a spoiled pooch. 
she um they have now set up um an office in northern ireland to deal with that precise problem because they were struggling to get their their produce from england to northern ireland so um hello fresh i don't think they haven't done it yet they are still only sending chicken and fish i believe so they're not able to send beef pork lamb so i think there's a gap in the market there for for a company in ireland to do that kind of cross-border subscription meal business there you have it if you're a founder looking to looking for an idea that you want to try i think fiona's just giving you a ready-made gold mine very random but there you go also just quickly touching upon your your spoiled pooch because everyone loves dogs i mean i was walking through liverpool street station the other day and there's now a, a bakery a dog bakery oh. um, where you can get yeah dog treats uh, right in the center of liverpool street there is such a huge market uh, demand i would say for that because I have a, a little toy poodle as well, and he is incredibly spoiled, more so than I am. So, well, there you go. I hear that. She's very <laughs> spoiled. We don't have kids yet, so she is she is our child. Exactly. Well, Fiona, thank you so much for um, coming on along today to the Finterview podcast. You've been a delight, incredibly insightful. So thank you for all of that. Um, and very much look forward to having you as a mentor on um, the FinTech Foundation Incubator Program starting in 2023. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Amar. Wow, what a story. We really hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I'm sure you've heard about Integrated Finance's exciting FinTech Foundation Incubator, where new FinTech founders can come and get exclusive access to a core banking technology stack business mentors, and it's backed by some of the leading fintech partners and investors, such as MasterCard, Currency Cloud, Comply Advantage, Infuse, 500 Global, Superseed Ventures, Octopus Ventures, and many more. If you have an idea to shake up how financial services are done today, find out more about how to join us at incubator.integrated.finance. Take care.